Take your Bibles and turn with me again this week to John 1. And uh, if you're using our Bibles here, it's page 6, 860 rather, 860. Before we get to our Bible passage today, just a little bit of, of family discussion, I guess. In a good way, don't be afraid of that, okay? Um, in January, Open Door Bible Church will be 45 years old. And through these years, our purpose has been to open and present the Word of God and to point people to faith in Christ alone for salvation. Because what our community needs and why God put us here is to communicate His Word and thus to point to faith in Christ alone for eternal life. You know you're welcome here, and I believe we are a very welcoming church, but a question would be, do people of our community know that they are welcome here? Do they perhaps even perceive sometimes, you know, open doors at church out there on LL for people who like that kind of thing? If if there were a mosque built in Port Washington, non-Muslims would assume it's not for us, it's for somebody else. Perceptions, in that sense, can matter. And we want people to know that they are wanted and welcome. And we want to put out the welcome mat even better as we think to the future. Some of you may notice in some of the materials, maybe even your uh, worship bulletin this morning, that uh, Open Door, kind of for the first time, has its own unique logo, and we'll talk a little bit more specifically about that after the service uh, today. Our reason for developing a logo and some refreshed materials, and you'll hear about yard signs and such, is simply that we want to be more visible and more clear that everybody is welcome. If you would uh, think about how you ended up here, the majority of you would say someone invited you. So the most powerful resource that we have to communicate welcome is, is uh, obviously not a, a logo or a yard sign or nice facilities or websites or live streams. The most important and powerful resource is us, you, us as a church. And so we just want to be even more intentional about doing that well, people inviting people. And that's really what leads us then, if you would, to uh, John 1 and John chapter 4, because people inviting people has always been God's way. And we see a, a process, especially in John 1 and, and 4, of how people have an influence. We're looking specifically, well, really at John the Baptist, Jesus, Andrew, Philip, and the Samaritan woman. A little review uh, this little two-part series, we looked last week at the first 34 verses of John 1, where John, uh, the apostle, writing this gospel decades later, wants to make it very clear who Jesus Christ is. He's eternal. He was with God. He's the creator. He made all things. He's light and life in this world. He's light and he's the source of all kinds of of life. If there's life, it's because of Jesus. He is the only way that one can become part of God's family. It's by faith in him. 
And He's the one who became flesh and revealed God to us so that we would know something of God's glory and that we would know His grace and His truth. And then finally, John the Baptist introduced Jesus as Jesus came walking by and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sin. That's, that's like the epitome of what Christ came to do, right? The cross, the sacrifice. And so John has introduced Jesus in print for us, but now he launches into the story of how people invite people as he tells the, the narrative, the story, or the record of how that happened in actual uh, life of the time Jesus was on earth. So the rest of John 1 is about that. Let's pick it up in verse 35, where John sees Jesus a second time and says the same thing a second time. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples, people who followed John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. You could say followed Jesus instead of John. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. I'll mention later, I think the other was actually John, the, guy, the apostle writing this book. So, two days in a row, John the Baptist, that is, sees Jesus and points to him and says, behold, or look, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that which the Jews would know is the sacrificial Lamb, and this guy was suddenly the lamb who would completely eliminate sin? These two disciples had heard this before and they suddenly switch over and follow Jesus. How did that make John feel? Did he feel rejected or abandoned? I don't think so at all because John clearly knew his purpose was to point to and announce who Jesus was was. In verse 15, he had said, the one I'm telling you about is much greater than me. Verse 20, I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to announce the Messiah. Verse 26, I'm not even worthy to do sandal duty with the guy who's coming after me. And so it was exactly according to plan that they would follow Jesus. John 4 verse 2 reveals that the talk around town was that, you know, this Jesus is now getting more disciples than John even. And that's how it should be. If you have opportunity to be influential in someone's life, pointing them to Jesus, or if you even get to, to speak to others like I do, we have to remember it is never about us. Our entire role in their life is to point to one who is Worthy, and that is to point them to Jesus. So Jesus, verse 37, they followed Jesus, and Jesus sees them, of course. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, 
So by following here, it, it just means they literally were walking behind him. And so Jesus asked them, what do you want? Why are you following me? Now, if you had heard what these two disciples had heard John say about Jesus, you know what they wanted to know. They wanted to know, is he the Messiah? Is, what does it mean that he could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? But they don't say that. They, they kind of play, the, play it cool, the casual, uh, nonchalant card. and said, we want to know where you're staying. Was that just a kind of a vague, neutral response? Or were they actually revealing, we would like to get to know you? And it's very likely both. And Jesus says, okay, come and see. Come and see something as simple as where I am staying. So they went, verse 39, and saw where he was staying and spent that day with them. It was about the 10th hour. I don't know where Jesus was staying. It doesn't reveal where he was staying. It must not matter where he was staying. They just went and spent the day with him. This was happening in Bethany back in verse 28. Bethany is not the familiar Bethany you may know of. It was the, that was the home near Jerusalem where his friends uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. He did stay with them there, but this is the Bethany across the Jordan. We'll see it on a map later. It's a different place, so we have no idea. Was he, was he staying with somebody who hosted him? Was he outdoors camping? It doesn't matter, but they spent the day with him, the rest of the day with him, and it was the 10th hour. The fact that he mentioned it's the 10th hour is what uh, some see, I think, is actually a clue. This is John who is writing. He's remembering this detail because he was one of those two, and the other is identified clearly in verse 40 as, as Andrew. And so they spend the rest of the day starting at the 10th hour. Now, the 10th hour, most likely John, being a Jewish man, is using the Jewish time clock, which 6 a.m. was the beginning of the day, just like it is for, for many of us, right? So that was considered the first hour. If you do the math from, from 6 a.m., it takes you 10 hours. It's 4 p.m. when this time with Jesus began. Now, the, the Romans of the day, they counted time like we do, midnight thing, but, but this was probably a Jewish reference to 4 p.m. So if they spent the rest of the day with them, you'd say, that's well, not terribly much day left. The rest of that afternoon sunset, evening, till whenever they went to bed, and probably this implies they stayed the night wherever Jesus was staying the night. Andrew, John, I think, and Jesus. Andrew is identified as Simon Peter's brother in verse 40. Uh, why would he, he's brought up that way several times because Andrew is such a lesser known guy than Peter. John is writing this late in the first century, decades after Jesus, and everybody still remembered who Peter was, the guy who really led the early church uh, there in Jerusalem. But uh, would they know who Andrew was? We don't see much about Andrew, so John identifies him. He's Peter's uh, brother, one of the lesser-known disciples, like, frankly, most of us are, right? So they spend a day with Jesus. What did they do? Did they walk around? I think this was probably near the Sea of Galilee. They could have taken a walk down to the lake. Did they? 
from what we see that Andrew concluded, we know they must have talked about the Old Testament scriptures. So that had to be the, the core truth that they talked about the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. Because Andrew concludes, this is the guy. But how did the conversation start? Did, don't you suppose it was pretty normal? Tell me, Andrew, tell me, John, what's it like growing up in a fisherman's home? How did, how's that trade going for you? Do they find out stories about Jesus that we never hear? Growing up where he lived, about Joseph and Mary, Joseph who is stepdad, if you will, who had died probably by this time. We don't know. I think it's a pretty normal relationship, though. So come and see. And they spend the next six waking hours and perhaps the night with Jesus. What does Jesus' invitation, come and see, teach us about how we can invite people to get to know Jesus? A couple of things, just some observations. If we can advance these slides a little bit. Somebody got that? Number one, people will get to know Jesus who want to know Jesus. Andrew and John had spiritual interest. You don't have to force people to want to know Jesus. They either have spiritual interest or they don't. I think that's so freeing. You can tell people how Christ has impacted you, but the desire to know Christ has to come from within, has to come from God stirring in their hearts because God is at work. We can be confident God is at work in people's hearts. There is spiritual interest in hearts. Maybe from seeing creation and wonder, did God create or did this just happen, evolve? What happens to me when I die? Who is this Jesus people talk about? There is interest. So you don't have to feel pressured, but... People get to know Jesus who hear about Jesus from someone. So we do have a role to play. We do need to take initiatives, have conversations, invite. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to Andrew and John, and we'll see today how that just continued uh, a chain of events. So basically, many times, all we have to do is talk about the things that are important to us, just like any relationship. And if Christ is important, somewhere... You can talk about the peace that you have knowing where you'll be one minute after you die. You can talk about how you talk to God personally through Christ. You can talk to God about everything that you're going through. You can talk about things that you feel God is teaching you because that's just you. And so people can get to know Jesus because they hear about his impact on you. And finally, people get to know Jesus when they know Jesus cares about them and wants a personal relationship with them. So Jesus spent time with them. Now, we don't all see Jesus in flesh, but the, the Jesus, if you will, that people see is, is us who have a relationship with him. So we're the ones that need to spend time with people, just having normal, good friendships. I once read a, a, a study showing that most Christians, the ones that become believers in Christ as adults, transition to having almost all believing friends within two years. Their close friends are now all believers. And you know, that's a good thing because we, we need fellowship. We, we stimulate one another to grow, but 
Is it always a good thing if we no longer have close, valuable relationships and opportunities with unbelievers around us? So people will get to know us, and then they get to know Christ. They get to know we care, then they can get to know something of what Christ's care for them is. So how do you be a true friend is a good thing to think about, and what needs can you, can you meet? At some point, you would desire, as you pray for all of your friends, you'd have opportunity, have opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? And maybe you might study with them, you might talk about scriptures, you might uh, invite them to a study, you might invite them, as many of you have, to, to visit uh, the church with you, where they can hear about Christ and about what God's word says. John pointed these men to Jesus. Jesus invited them into a relationship, and it begins a domino effect that's pretty exciting just to follow this. As now Andrew knows, and Andrew goes to his brother Peter, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did, I take this kind of like after breakfast, after spending the the previous evening and, and night with Christ, The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, I know you. You are Simon, son of John, or Jonas. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I know you, I'm giving you a new name. Hmm. So Jesus has spent time with Andrew and John. Andrew is already convinced that Jesus is indeed the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, and he goes to tell his brother. We found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Now, Messiah is a Hebrew word from the Old Testament, and John, several times in this passage we'll see today, translates some key Hebrew words into Greek, which was the the common trade language. So he must be writing to non-Jews principally, but still mentions kind of both. So Christ is the Greek or New Testament version of the Old Testament word Messiah. So the Messiah in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is the anointed one. And there was all this expectation that was building through the prophets and through the law of how there's there's one coming, a prophet, a, a deliverer, a king, a descendant of David. And there was anticipation that Israel would be delivered. And as you might guess, they thought it was a different kind of deliverance. They thought it would be a political deliverance. And that was the expectation that Jesus didn't meet for them when he came the first time. Because they were subjugated and oppressed by Rome, they wanted a political deliverance, but the deliverance that Jesus was bringing was spiritual, and their spiritual need dwarfed their political desires and longings. We believe, Andrew says, we found the Messiah. You've got to meet him. And so he walks, maybe drags his brother Peter over to Jesus. What a, what a great example. Just helping this person get to know Jesus. I grew up in a family where my immediate family, my uncles, aunts, and cousins, I grew up, they all had placed their faith in Christ to my knowledge. 
And it's a little different experience, I know, that, than what many of you had. So I have always respected and admired how so many of you, with family members that may or may not have a relationship with Christ, have talked with them and influenced them. And I just have observed and seen and known stories of how person after person is just invited by a family member. You know them best, and you have an opportunity. And, and so, you know, wh- however you see your family or dynamics or whatever, just to realize you are in your family for a reason. Keep, keep it up. Jesus looked at him and says, you are Simon. You're going to be called Cephas. That's the Hebrew name for Peter, which is the Greek name. And Peter means the rock. If you happen to personally know Dwayne Johnson, the actor, this would be a great lead-in for how to tell him about Christ, just saying, the rock. Peter was a rock. He was going to be strong. He didn't start out strong. He had a strong personality, but he made some big mistakes. But then he became a strong leader of the church. See the book of Acts. Whereas Andrew, his brother, is very little known. Uh, Only mentioned a few times, but interestingly, Andrew is really characterized by what he did here. He just brings people to Jesus. Very ordinary guy. In fact, the next time, one of the next times you find him in Acts, in rather John 6, that's when there was a crowd of 5,000 people on the other side of Galilee that needed to eat. You know who it was that brought the boy with the loaves and the fishes? It was Andrew who found him and brought him to Jesus, facilitating that connection. In John 12, later on, we're going to meet Philip. Some Gentiles in Jerusalem told Philip, hey, we want to meet Jesus, and for whatever reason, Philip doesn't take them to Jesus. He asks Andrew, who takes them to Jesus. He's a poster child for personal invitation, bringing people to know Jesus. Some of you have been fantastic Andrews and Andrewlinas or whatever. But, but I could name some names of people who you just, you have invited people to stuff at church or talk about Christ. Seems like you have this, some kind of a natural Andrew nature. And uh, again, thank you. And, and, and God can use all of us that way. And then God works mightily. The power to save is all God's. It's all in the truth of his word. But then he uses us as we have connections. The next scene in this important week of Jesus calling his disciples, again, involves a guy inviting another guy, but with a little bit of a twist, as we'll see. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, that is, Jesus found Philip. He said to him, follow me. Here's the twist. No one invited Philip and brought him to Jesus. So Jesus just found him. In other words, it's not dependent upon us. And Jesus can find people however he wants to find people. We just get to be a part of the process if, if we choose and God wants to use us that way. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Those are descriptions of the Messiah. We found him. 
It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's a guy who lives right nearby. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked him. Come and see, said Philip. So Christ finds Philip and they have some time together, conversation. We don't know anything more about that. Uh, Jesus finds him in Galilee. Let's just take a look at the map a little bit to see kind of where we think some of this stuff is happening. So this Bethany across the Jordan is kind of anyone's guess. There's not a clear definition, but the best I've found is that it was actually up kind of across from the Sea of Galilee, way up north, not down by Jerusalem. So the two key Jewish areas of Israel then were Galilee and Judea. And Philip, Andrew, and Peter are all from Bethsaida. And now Philip finds Nathanael. And Nathanael is from Cana. Whoops. And Jesus, it's about Jesus who is labeled as from Nazareth. So here's kind of the, the scenario. These men are all Galileans. In fact, probably all the disciples, the 12 disciples, except perhaps Judah, who, if the word Iscariot refers to his hometown, that there was something like that near Jerusalem. But otherwise, they were known as Galileans. The angel said, you men of Galilee, when Jesus ascended. So they're Galileans, and Jesus himself grew up in Nazareth, though, of course, he was born in Bethlehem, which is just south, barely five miles maybe from Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly where his conversation took place. Did, did, did it take place actually with Philip, that is. First of all, Jesus found Philip in Bethsaida, maybe his hometown of Galilee. Uh, please realize this, Philip, uh, who is the disciple of Jesus, is not the same as the Philip in Acts 6, Acts 8, who is chosen as a deacon and as an evangelist to Samaria. This Philip is not uh, really seen much or much known of him. This week I read a little interesting take on this Philip uh, from uh, the Bible scholar Leon Morris. He says, Philip must have been a very ordinary kind of a guy. The few times we find him, he speaks up by asking questions that don't even seem all that brilliant, like he had a lot of insight into what's going on, but he just asked questions. Just a, just a very average, ordinary Guy, He was the one even maybe too shy when the Gentile says, we want to see Jesus. He goes to Andrew and says, should we take him to Jesus? And anyhow. But however ordinary he was, Philip could do this. He had a friend named Nathaniel down in Cana. So he said, I want to, I want to tell Nathaniel about Jesus. And so we got Nathaniel, who's from Cana. You have Philip, Andrew, and John, who are, uh, Andrew and Peter, rather, who are from Bethsaida. And so they're kind of up northern Galilee. And Philip tells Nathaniel about Jesus of Nazareth, down a little bit south. You can tell Nathaniel didn't think much of Nazarenes, right? Just a little bit of a, of a, 
or maybe a big bias. We don't know anything really about Nazareth, why he would say, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But that's what he says in verse 46. Can anything good come from there? It, to him, it had kind of a Gary, Indiana reputation. Sorry if you're from Gary, Indiana, nothing, nothing personal. Or it's a little bit like, maybe like Wisconsin and Illinois. Can, can anything good come out of Illinois? Maybe a couple of pastors. (laughs) But Nathaniel was just a guy with a natural prejudice, regional kind of a rivalry thing. It didn't stop Philip. Philip doesn't even interact with the dig about Nazareth. He just says, come and see. He ignored the comment and said, come and see. It's basically the same thing that Jesus said when the disciples, two guys, Andrew and, and John said, where are you staying? Come and see. However, Philip used a second, the, the word see is a little different word in the Greek language. It basically means the same thing, but it goes a little bit deeper. It's a word about seeing and understand. It's more like saying, come and understand. It's more than just visual. Come and understand. Uh, Investigate. In fact, the, the, the rabbis at the time would use this term when they invited people to come have a discussion. Let's come to a conclusion. Let's investigate. Let's, let's talk about this. Come and understand, Philip tells his friend Nathaniel. It's a, it's a great phrase to describe inviting someone to talk about Jesus, whether it's Philip or whether it's us at Open Door. Because basically that's our invitation to our community. Come and see. We want to tell you about Jesus Christ. So this little phrase, come and see, it's on the front of your the new bulletin cover and uh, it's on the yard sign that Seth will talk about later. We were a month or two ago, a little inside story, a month or two ago, we were, as we were developing some of these materials and the signage and stuff that's new, uh, we were trying to find a little phrase that would communicate welcome to the community. I mean, we know our purpose statement. Insider talk is we talk about RBI, reach, build, involve, but that doesn't communicate to our neighbors. That's, that's for us to know we need to reach people and build them and involve them in God's plan. So that's, that's us. And we, we talked about this as a staff, and we had a list, a brainstorming list, and, and, and one day in staff meeting, Nate says, you know, what we're really trying to tell people, it's kind of like what Jesus you know, told, told uh, uh, the, those two disciples, come and see, and we stopped and said, no, we don't need something like that. We need that. <laughs> Let's just use what Jesus said, come and see. And so that's a little, little bit of a, of, a, of a tagline or whatever, because that's what we want our community to know Please come. Come and see. Come and understand. That's what Philip wanted for Nathaniel. Come and meet Jesus. And then we see very soon how Nathaniel is transfixed and transformed, not by Philip, but by Jesus. So picking it up in verse 46, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Or you may have the word deceit or guile or something like that. It was a compliment. 
How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And, and now picture a jaw drop. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I, I love this conversation. I, I love how Jesus said hello when he met Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus knew Nathaniel had been critical of his hometown. He knew that Nathaniel was doubting him, and he responds with a compliment. You're a guy with no deceit. It's actually a little Greek word that is referred to like fish bait. You know you're lying when you fish, right? You're saying this is something good when it's not. That's bait. But Philip is saying, uh, Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, you're not like that. You are just, you say it like it is. You're blunt. He says, I actually like that about you, Nathaniel. You know, there's some people you, you like because they're, tra- they're tactful in their words, and there's other people you like because they tell it like it is, right? Nathaniel, I think, is in the, the second group. And then Jesus is instantly personal with him and says, I, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree. And, and Nathaniel is, like, shocked because this was visually impossible that Jesus saw him by his fig tree. This is before they had walked together to see Jesus. You couldn't know this without divine knowledge. And <clears throat> maybe a reference to a fig tree at Nathaniel's home. People like to have them. In fact, there's kind of an Old Testament symbolic thing about each person being by their fig tree. There's some reference here that only Nathaniel and Jesus could know. It even could be that, that Nathaniel, that, that Jesus is referring to something of, of this is where Nathaniel spent time seeking God. He was a sincere guy. And, and now Jesus triggers that connection. And Nathaniel realizes that Jesus already knows my personal stuff spiritually. Boom. Wow. How could that be? And this little staggering glimpse of Jesus' deity and personal interest convinces Nathaniel that what Philip had told him about Jesus was true. They've had a conversation. Maybe they walked from Bethsaida down to uh, Cana. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He he believed in Jesus at this moment. And Jesus says, you'll see greater things than me knowing where you were a little while ago. Probably referring to the miracles that Jesus would do, that Nathaniel would witness. And in fact, you'll see heaven opened and angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. A lot of names for Christ here from King of Israel and Son of God, and now Son of Man, his true deity, his true humanity. 
And frankly, it's, it's pretty unclear to most people what this refers to, the angels ascending and descending. If you were looking for an answer on that, I'm sorry. Uh, there's been a lot of suggestions we won't go into, but there's some sense in which Jesus is the one who, as, as, a, as a man on earth, is going to connect people to the God of heaven. This isn't all there is. God is real, heaven is real, angels are real, the presence of God and the glory of God is real. Here's flesh and blood and, and, and stuff and dirt. And, and there is a connection between the two. And Jesus is that connection. You know, that's how Nathaniel came to know who Christ was. Philip told him. And then he saw some glimpse of what Jesus, who Jesus was by what he did. Good thing Philip didn't hesitate to invite his prejudiced friend to see Jesus. Good thing he didn't even get in an argument about it. You shouldn't say that about Nazareth. Don't let annoying, negative, crude traits of people keep you from inviting them to get to know Jesus. Because what they need is Jesus. Uh, They need to know that Jesus already knows them with all their negative traits, with all their spiritual thoughts, hopes, and desires, he already knows them. So when we invite someone to hear spiritual truth, we are part of a divine plan and process already in gear. And we get to be a part of that. I, I just kind of was thinking, in heaven, will we be having, you know, I know we're going to be worshiping, But in the conversations we have with each other, are we going to be talking about stuff like this, like all the amazing connections that God put together of how this person heard about Jesus and we had this conversation and you got invited to this and then you heard about this and this happened and and we'll just be praising God all the more because of the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of people in our lives. And there we are forever together in heaven. Come to me to John 4, one more come and see moment. Jesus invited the two disciples, Andrew invited his family, that's his brother, Philip invited his biased friend. We meet the Samaritan woman who invited the whole town. Here's a little brief summary of this amazing story you need to read or reread, um, just to get ourselves uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem and Judea where he spent much of his ministry, but he also often went back to Galilee. And so he was traveling from Judea back to Galilee, it says. And um, he stops in Samaria at this place called Sychar. Now, it's a little bit unusual what he did because most Jews didn't like Samaritans who were kind of like half Jewish in their uh, racial identity. And so they often would cross the Jericho, the the Jordan River, and uh, they would go up along Perea, and then they'd come back into, into Galilee. And, uh, but not Jesus. He, just, he, went, he, went, he took a shortcut because he had people he wanted to talk to, like this woman at the well, and he, he asks her for a drink. And, and we see that what he did in asking this woman at the well with, for a drink was culturally kind of unacceptable that, that in, a, in a private setting that Jesus would even have a conversation with this woman. You should kind of like 
keep your space and ignore one another. But he asked her for a drink and they had this conversation and the conversation quickly turns personal and spiritual, kind of like with Nathaniel. And in verse 18, Jesus <laughs> reveals to her that he knows that she has been married and divorced five times is now living with guy number six. And she says, uh, you must be a prophet. <laughs> and the conversation continues and Jesus actually acknowledges even more than that. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The issue keeps coming back to, is Jesus the promised Messiah? Jesus says, I am. I am the Messiah. So, uh, that's been stated. Just then his disciples returned because they were in, the, in town getting food. He was out in the uh, out, outskirts at the, at the well with this woman. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, she forgot what she came for. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. He, she uses the same come and see phrase exactly as Philip had said to Nathaniel. Come, let's, let's think about this. Come, let's understand. Let's figure out this man could be the Messiah. And she's suddenly not shy. And I would imagine that Thinking through her life, there will have been some shame she carried for this revolving door of men she had married and known. It's not that what she wanted to be known for, but now suddenly Jesus had talked with her and accepted her in spite of her sinful past. Taken interest in her. In fact, he had done the most important thing he could ever do or any of us could do he had offered her eternal life go back in the conversation back in verse 10 they're getting water so jesus uses the water metaphor jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that asks you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water okay we're talking about something besides water aren't we jesus Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. So we're, we're talking about eternal life, and we're talking about eternal life being a gift. And again, that's exactly what's on the hearts and minds of people we know everywhere who think about eternity. What happens after we die? How do you get there? Do you get there by good works? and religion, or is it a gift, like somebody handing someone a drink of water? So he has gotten to the spiritual core of what Jesus Christ is about. Having heard this, he, she's like just on the journey of understanding this herself. Verse 29, come see a man who though he knew my sin, accepted me, cared about me, and offered me eternal life. It doesn't get better than that. Could he be the Messiah? And people around that town who may have known her, judged her, 
gossiped about her, suddenly were interested in Jesus Christ. Because while this, they may have known her sinful past, they each knew their own sin and past, as we all do. Could there really be someone who cares about us in spite of our sin and who would accept us as we are? And their own hearts were stirred with spiritual interest. This is what we offer. We offer people Christ, who knows us completely, died for our sin, and offers us forgiveness and eternal life. You don't have to sell forgiveness. Everybody longs for it. Just tell them about it. Forgiveness. Tell them about eternal life. We'll come back to the conversation that intervenes, because as she's in town... Jesus talks to the disciples. But as as the people come back now to see Jesus out by the well, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, Jesus, to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. So they came to realize over the next two days of conversation, teaching, and whoever believes in me has eternal life. I give it to you like you give a drink of water. They had believed in Christ and realized he was the one who indeed saved them from the penalty of their sin. Because of her testimony. Because she invited them. But the testimony there in verse 39, she just told her story. He knew what I did, and he loves and accepts me and offers me eternal life. You have a testimony. If you have believed in Christ, you have a testimony of how you came to understand who Jesus is and how you put your faith in him for eternal life. Whether you're a six-year-old kid like me or it was midlife or whenever it was for you, you have a testimony. It's one of the reasons when we have baptisms, we ask people to briefly share their testimony or read it, the testimony. Because it's not about them, it's about people who get to hear and be encouraged and perhaps even learn what it means to have your faith in Christ. The power of a testimony, the power of invitation. Going back to the conversation that Jesus has with the disciples while the Samaritan people are coming out to him. You can read it or we'll just put it up here. Jesus tells the disciples what's really going on. He says, don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, and it probably was harvest time when he's talking to them. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. What kind of harvest is he talking about? Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop of eternal life. That's the harvest so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. This woman had a role that only she could do, invite those people. While the disciples stood around in fellowship at the well, right? We need all kinds. 
We need people who invite. We need people who teach. We need people who, all these gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit, he gives it to, so that we can be a church family that is reaching our community. That's what, that's what hopefully happened little by little in the last 45 years and the next 45 years if the Lord tarries till then. We sow and reap and sow and reap. And if God can use a yard sign or a window sticker, that's not what's bringing people to Christ. But if we could see conversations started that we can invite people so that there would be a harvest of eternal life. Let's pray together and the worship team will come. Heavenly Father, we just pray that um, we will think about sowing and the crucial way in which you have placed us where we are, maybe in the family, maybe in the neighborhood, maybe in the workplace. Help us, Lord, to realize that uh, the way we are made or wired is okay, and yet we will need the power of your Spirit, the direction as we pray for opportunities for how we can best invite and point people uh, to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.